thanks, Danny, and it really is lovely to be with you tonight. And uh, it's a great idea to do something like this, Tuesday nights in January. So, okay, so we're going to be talking about stress tonight. Um, the topic I was given was everybody stresses. Now, um, last year I was at this meeting, and um, at this meeting, everyone had a chance to talk about what had been going on in their life in recent months. And it was a really interesting little snapshot of the sort of stresses that most of us face. So in this particular group, some spoke about significant health concerns. Uh, one person had cancer. Um, someone else had a, a chronic, high levels of chronic pain. Others spoke about relationship challenges. There was one couple whose um, son and daughter-in-law had stopped talking to them because of a relational difficulty. And the, the pressure of that was enormous for them. Uh, there was another person trying to work out how to care for an aged parent with dementia and the stress associated with that. And others talked about difficulties in their work environments. And some, for some of you, I'm sure that's a stress in your life as well. And the list sort of went on. It was a really interesting sort of snapshot. Um, we all know that we're not immune from stress, that it's part of life, that everybody stresses, yes, but um, we don't actually all respond in the same way, do we? And I suppose I've got a little question for you. Would you describe yourself as a stress head? Uh, would you describe yourself as a worrier? And please, there's no judgment um, associated with these terms because I'll say to you, I am naturally a worrier, okay? I'm one of those sort of people. So um, I, I am not immune from this stress, stressing out sort of thing. Um, I need to make that very clear to you. But um, I'm pretty hopeful that all of us can actually make changes in our life to help us manage the stresses that we do face, whatever they are, in a more helpful manner. And that's what I hope to share with you tonight. So basically, we're going to do two things. First up, we're going to try and understand stress. What is this thing? that we're talking about, what causes it, what impact does it have upon us? And then secondly, we're going to think about some things we can do to manage it. I'll share a few ideas. But uh, before we dive in, I just want to say one thing to all of you, um, which is I want to acknowledge that sometimes stress gets overwhelming. And if you feel overwhelmed at the moment, I'd really encourage you to get some help. And if the things I say tonight make you realise, oh, actually, it's probably I'm not managing my stress terribly well at the moment. Um, I encourage you to get some help. And the best place to start, go and see your GP, okay? And I'll do a bit of an assessment, see whether you need to talk to somebody else. Okay, so that's by way of introduction. Let's jump into our first point, understanding stress. And the thing about stress is, it's a bodily response. It is not just all in our mind, okay? It's about real physical changes in our body. Um, stress's response to um, brain triggers when we're in a situation where we need to make some response, when there's some demand placed upon us. Any demand placed upon our bodies creates stress. And some stress is actually really good for us. It's a very normal thing to have a stress response. In fact, if we didn't, we wouldn't get anything done. 
Now, you think it's coffee to get you up in the morning, get you going. It's not. It's stress. Okay? That's what kicks your body into gear, into action. Um, a certain level of stress has a whole lot of good impacts upon us. Let me I'll just quickly mention four for you. Uh, first thing it does is it motivates us. Uh, it improves our performance. Now, oh, I don't know what the sort of work that you're doing or whatever, you know, whatever you're doing with your life, but um, when you face a deadline, that often gets you going, doesn't it? When I realised I've got to get up and give this talk tonight and the time was running out, I thought, yeah, that, that, you know, that motivates you to get some stuff done. So some stress in our system is really good for our performance. You know, whether you're playing in the Australian Open, tennis, or giving a, a talk in public, whatever it is, or going to work. A couple of researchers, they studied the impact of stress upon performance and they came up with this inverted U-curve. So have a look at this diagram. And you see there, pressure down the bottom, that's stress, okay? Too much stress, poor performance. No stress, poor performance. You need a certain level to get you going to deliver in life. Um, stress is like Goldilocks, okay? When it's just right, it works for us. So that's one benefit. Mo stress motivates us. The second benefit of stress, it forces us to problem solve. And when we face a challenge, we have to work out how to meet that. That builds our confidence. It builds our skills. And again, that's good for us. And related to this, number three, stress can make life more meaningful. Can you believe that? If you never face any challenges, life can be pretty dull and pretty ordinary. But when we face something difficult and come through it, it gives us a sense of achievement. And things that we breeze through tend to not have the same sense of meaning for us. Now, um, I don't know whether you watch the ABC or used to watch the ABC, but um, ABC journalist Lee Sales used to do 7.30. A few years back, she wrote this book called Any Ordinary Day. Um, Lee Sales had a life-threatening experience. She almost died, and um, that made her rethink a whole lot of things in her life. And she decided to go out and interview a range of people who had had faced extreme stresses in their life. Um, people like Louisa Hope, who was in the Lint Cafe siege in 2014. She interviewed them. She talked about what was going on in life. And what comes through in this book is um, virtually everybody, probably everybody actually, said you know, they didn't appreciate the experience. They didn't want to go through it again. But it had helped them rethink what life was all about and actually made their lives more meaningful. Interesting. Uh, fourth benefit of stress is it actually helps us connect with others. And often when they're going through a tough time, that's the time when we might reach out. It's family, friends, um, you know, small talk's good. But have you ever noticed it's when you actually have a conversation when you talk, talk about, you know, the deep things, important, significant things to you, that's what really makes for a meaningful conversation and, and draws us together in relationships when we do that. And meaningful connections 
with others are profoundly important for our well-being. And we'll come back to that point later on tonight. Okay, so stress, it's a bodily response and it's an important what part of how we function as human beings, okay? So we don't want to be down on stress. Um, what generates our stress response is what's called our autonomic nervous system. And this has got two parts to it. Um, the sympathetic nervous system and the parasympathetic. Now, the stress response is all about the sympathetic nervous system. It's like this is the accelerator in our bodies. Um, this releases certain chemicals, hormones like adrenaline, cortisol, that rev us up to be able to do stuff. So your cortisol levels go up and down throughout the day, but early in the morning they start to rise because that's what gets you out of bed in the morning and uh, be able to start your day. Now, the parasympathetic, this is activated when we're in a more relaxed state. And this enables your body to do all of those housekeeping activities that your body needs to do if it's going to keep working long term. So things like digesting your dinner. Okay, Your parasympathetic is wanting to function right now to do that work. That's why you feel a bit sleepy after a big meal. Okay, Your body's saying, calm down. Um, it regulates your body temperature, all sorts of things like that associated with the parasympathetic. Now, the sympathetic and the parasympathetic, they work a little bit like a seesaw. When one's switched on, the other tends to switch off. And then when this one becomes activated, the other one calms down a bit. Okay, so they work a little bit like that. Um, okay, so that's, that's the part of our body associated with the stress response. What is it that actually causes the stress response in our body? And the answer to that question is stressors. That's what they're called, stressors. A stressor is something that causes a stress response in us, um, that makes that stress response kick in. And in terms of the things that make demands upon us, we normally think of things external to us, don't we? So um, things out there in the world that make an impact upon us. And that can include little things like preparing a meal, like um, doing a task at work, but there are more major stresses that can have a very significant impact upon us. Things like a pandemic. Um, I've got a list there. Work pressures, um, relationship difficulties, caring for children or aged parents, health concerns, isolation. Isolation is really, really stressful. Okay? So they're external stresses. But... We also, our stress response is also activated by what's called internal stresses, things in our head. Um, certain attitudes, thought patterns can create stress for us. So here's a list of some of them. You're a perfectionist, um, sensitive to criticism, do you have a tendency to catastrophize, uh, do you have unrealistic expectations about life? Other things, a pessimistic outlook, are you self-critical? And people have those sorts of sort of mental frameworks, mindsets. Those things can create a lot of stress for us. And because we all have different attitudes, perceptions, habits of thinking, this is why a similar 
stressful external event will have different impacts upon different people. Okay? For some people, the pandemic was enormous and they were incredibly knocked around by it. Other people, not such a big deal. Got on with life. They were okay. Um, two people fail an exam. Okay, one person is devastated. They start to fall to pieces. They think, I've never failed anything in my life. I'm, a complete, I'm completely hopeless. I'm never going to be able to achieve it ending again. Another person shrugs it off. Think, oh, I failed the exam. I didn't do any work. I deserve to fail. No big deal. See, different mental perception shapes a different stress response. Um, and we'll come back to this point again a little bit later. The other thing about stress is um, stress is really important for our survival. Um, I spoke before about some of the positive impacts of stress, but I missed out on a really critical one. Our stress response is very good at keeping us alive. Okay, keeping us alive. Um, the human brain, as you know, has extraordinary abilities. Uh, anyone here design bridges? We have no bridge designers, but I'm sure we have people who design other things. Um, anyone here wrote, write romantic poetry? Um, you probably do. You're just not going to own up to it in this company, correct? Uh, any really good surfers, you know, ride the surf with incredible skill. These are the sorts of things that the human brain can do and lots and lots of other things as well. But the number one job of the human brain is what? To keep us alive. To keep us alive. Um, our survival and one of the ways our brains keep us alive is through the stress response now do you know the um do you know the bay walk you know nine code bay some of you know the bay walk okay beautiful walk seven k's shared by walkers pedestrians and cyclists okay so and i, I ride a bike too but um anyway i was out walking the bay and i turn a corner and there's a cyclist coming at me full pelt. What am I going to do? Before I'd even thought about what I'm going to do, do you, know what, do you know what happened? My body reacted. I didn't even think about it. I didn't have to think about it. Before I knew it, I had a surge of adrenaline. And that adrenaline lifted my blood pressure, changed the way blood flowed through my body. It shifted blood from my digestive organs to my large muscles so that I could either put my arms up to protect myself or jump out of the way. Fight or flight. Okay? Um, that's the sympathetic system doing its job to protect us and to keep us safe. And this system, it's active during our waking hours and it enables us to tackle whatever comes our way, whether it's bicycles at high speed whether it's some task at work, whether it's whatever else is going on. And it's the exactly the same bodily response that a nomadic member of a nomadic tribe thousands and thousands of years ago would have had when they face a saber-toothed tiger. Okay? Same bodily response, being primed for action. But here's the thing. Okay? That's all about readiness to deal with some physical threat, fight or flight. We can have exactly the same stress reaction sitting 
that address in front of the computer that would work. Or standing in a classroom in front of students who are teaching. Or in a whole range of other scenarios in life where we're not actually doing anything physical, but what's going on in our head, a profound stress response. Does that make sense? Okay. And that's when we see those internal stresses causing us a lot of stress. And because our brains are so sophisticated, we actually have the ability to anticipate future troubles and have a stress response about something that probably won't happen in the future. Now, I've brought along a little friend tonight. I'll show you my little friend. Do you like my soft toy? This is Ziggy the zebra. Okay, I want you to imagine Ziggy out there on the plains, the savannah in Africa. Okay, what's Ziggy doing? Ziggy is calmly munching away on the grass, having his lunch. And Ziggy hears a rustle in the bushes. What does he do? What do you think he will do? He will take off at high speed. Why? Because there could be a lion who wants him for lunch and he's happy to forego his lunch as long as it doesn't become lunch for someone else. Nine times out of ten, perhaps 99 times out of 100, the rustle in the bushes is probably just a little animal or a bird or the wind. But he doesn't wait around because he's wired to protect himself. Okay, now, now let me tell you what Ziggy doesn't do. Ziggy doesn't worry about whether there's going to be a lion in the bushes tomorrow. Now, I can't say that for sure because I've never been inside a zebra's brain, but that's my guess, okay? But we humans, our brains are so sophisticated that we have the ability to do this. We can have a stress response to something that may happen, but probably won't happen by worrying about stuff in the future. Okay. Um, what this means is because the number one job of our brains is to keep us alive, do you know what that means? It means we have a bias in the way our brains work. Uh, we have a negativity bias. We are much, much, much more attuned to negative things, to threats, to potential threats, to even, you know, probably unheard of threats uh, than we are to positive things. Our brains will naturally scan looking for the negative rather than the positive. And it's almost like our brains, when it comes to negative things, our brains are like Velcro. The negative stuff just sticks. And when it comes to positive things, our, our brains are like Teflon. They just slide off. Interesting. We'll come back to that again later. Okay, that's stress. Now let me talk to you about chronic stress okay all of us go through periods of in intense stress that's okay our bodies are designed to cope very well with that whether it's dodging the bicycle where the, whether it's you know working to through some work deadline but there's a big difference between the exceptional and the normal um, and when we are in a state of high stress for long periods of time when it's like you know i talked about the sympathetic nervous system being like the accelerator. 
like when that foot is stuck on the accelerator long term so that you know you don't do the seesawing with the parasympathetic you just keep forevering like this um, that is not at all good for us um, let, now let me try and explain this to you uh, use a little illustration i want you to imagine a swimming pool okay now the swimming pool the water in the swimming pool is your baseline level of stress, okay? So just the, the undercurrent of stress in your life. And if it's down here at your, you know, your ankles or your knees, that's okay. You can cope with that pretty well. And then if you do face some stressful event, the water might wash up, but, you know, it might come up to your waist, but that's fine. You can handle that pretty well, okay? Now, think about this. What if your baseline level of stress is here and you're going through life with your stress level like this and then you suddenly confront a really challenging difficult situation and the water comes up like that and you feel like you're drowning okay and lots and lots of people in modern life are living with very high baseline stress levels which our bodies are not designed to cope with and they don't have the opportunity for that to settle okay now living with chronic stress is very uncomfortable um, we normally turn to various things to cope with this sort of stress what do you think people do um, there's a range of what we might call soft addictions that people turn to things like um, they binge eat or binge Netflix, um, computer games, maybe shop online. And there's other, I think, more destructive sort of addictive behaviours that people turn to just to distract themselves from that baseline level of stress in their life. So things like pornography, gambling, um, alcohol, other drugs, things like that. The thing about chronic stress is it's not only uncomfortable, it's actually dangerous. And um, have a look at this quote from a neuroscientist Lisa Feldman Barrett, she says, over time, anything that contributes to chronic stress can gradually eat away at your brain and cause Ill illness in your body. The constant influx of stress hormones impacts our immune system, impacts the way the blood flows through our arteries, our blood pressure, the way insulin works in our body, the way our digestive system works, and the way that our brains work. It impacts that as well. Prolonged stress alters our brain chemistry. It alters our neural pathways. And that is why there is a link between chronic stress and things like anxiety, depression, burnout and the like. So how do you know when you're experiencing chronic stress? Well, there's probably a whole range of things that feed in that. But I'll give you a, a couple of really common signs. Okay. One your sleep you have trouble getting to sleep or you wake up in the night have you ever had that experience either that experience went through a stressful period last year i had trouble sleeping i knew normally i sleep very well i knew i was in trouble second thing um, our emotions become more fragile so you know you get teary at the ads on your television you know those emotional ads uh, <laughs> uh, you feel more anxious you're more irritable than you normally are and the people who are around you in life start to notice that okay those sorts of things 
Um, there's a whole range of other things as well. But that's, you know, that inability to regulate your emotions and then that, or less ability, and then that impact upon your sleep, they're two, they're a couple of really good signs. And I just want to say again, if now from what I've described, you think chronic, chronic stress is a big thing in your life, I really want to encourage you to do something about it. Okay, so that's the first point, understanding stress. So stress, good thing, we need it. Um, helps us get stuff done, but too much, too constant, very damaging to us as human beings. So point two, managing stress. What can we do about it? And I'm going to run a little model by you. Okay, so I think this is, this is new. I've just, let's see how this goes. this over here so you can hear me I want you to imagine a tank or a beaker like this okay, this is you this is me and um, we all have things that have a negative impact upon us and increase our stress okay now part of part of our stress response is simply due to the genetics that we have, okay, the genetic hand that you've been dealt. In my extended family, there's a lot of anxiety and depression. And so I know I'm genetically vulnerable. So we have these, this is the genetic stuff. Then we have um, circumstances in life that have happened to us. You know, it might be the family that we grew up in. There might be some history of trauma. There might be whatever else. So we have some vulnerabilities that have come from life experiences and they have an impact upon us as well. And then, of course, then there's the external stresses in life. So, you know, there might be some relationship problems. There might be a lot of pressure at work. Uh, there might be, you know, other things going on. And over time, you know, just like we talked about the swimming pool, things sort of, they keep building up and they can't fit anymore, and they start to leak over the top, fall on the floor, and this is where things like burnout, anxiety, depression come into play, okay? So not coping with all of the stress. Now, what can you do about this? You can't do anything about your genetics. And some of those vulnerabilities from your experiences in life, some of them you might be able to do something about, some you might really struggle to do anything about. Um, so, that can be, you can deal with some of the external pressures. You might be able to change your job if that's a lot of pressure. You might be able to put aside a unhealthy relationship, for example, and so that might take off some stress, but there's something else you can do. So, might not be able to handle the external or the internal stresses, but what you can do is get a bit of time. Now, what do I mean by that? Next up, how do you make the tank bigger? Well, you do that by drawing upon various resources and well-being practices, and that's what I'm going to talk about now. Okay, so um, here's a few ideas. 
But before I give you a few ideas, I'm just going to give you a blatant plug. Okay, so the um, Mental Health and Pastoral Care Institute that Sarah and I run, we've developed a course about managing stress. It's called Press On, Building Resilience and Mental Wellbeing. And um, this, it has, we give a bit of input, we've interviewed a number of people, and they talk about their experiences. But the really good thing about it is it gives you a set of exercises that you can work through to work out how do I build healthy habits into my life so I can manage stress better. Okay, so blatant plug, but um, you can find out more about that on um, our website. And I'll give you, I'll show you a little clip in a moment so you can get a, a taster for it. But what I want to do now in uh, fairly briefly is quickly run through seven well-being practices that can increase the size of your tank so you can manage stress better. So here's the seven. Uh, I won't read through them all now. We're just going to deal with them one at a time. Okay, so here we go. Number one, treat your body the way it's designed to work best. See, if stress is response in our bodies, not just in our minds, it makes sense that what we do with our bodies has a huge impact upon how well we'll cope with stress. Stress is not all in the mind. Um, so I like to talk about the trinity of good health. The trinity of good health is sleep, exercise, good nutrition. Okay, those three. And can I say, they are really good for your body, but also incredibly good for your mind. Because mind and body are inextricably linked together. You cannot separate them out. So um, let me just show you this little clip. Let's see if this works. It worked before. Thanks, Sam. Sleep really is the cause of disappearing weight loss each day. And we are kidding ourselves if we think we can get by with only a little, a small amount of sleep. Now, God doesn't need it, does he? He neither slumbers nor sleeps, Psalm 121. But Psalm 127, he gives sleep to those he loves. Now, there's sometimes pressures of life that bring sleepless nights. You see that in the people like the Apostle Paul. And, of course, there's various medical conditions and other things that can interfere with our sleep. But sometimes we don't sleep because of foolish choices we make with our lifestyle. The research suggests that nearly all of us need somewhere between seven and nine hours sleep each night. And there's really clear evidence if you get less than six hours sleep that has all sorts of long-term health consequences. Now, um, a whole lot of biological processes are taking place while we sleep. They're not all fully understood. But one of the things that happens, they think, is that our brain cells, our neurons, they actually shrink. And the scientists think that that allows the fluid in our brains to get around more easily and to remove those toxins from our brain. It's sort of like the, the system gets flushed out. There's also evidence that while we sleep, our memories become consolidated. And another interesting thing that's come out of the research, there's the suggestion that one of the biggest causes for not getting enough sleep is not insomnia, but people procrastinating. You know, we're actually getting sidetracked into doing other things when we should be priming ourselves to get ready to go to bed. Uh, one of the things that I've had to develop as a habit is um, how to moderate and manage my sleep. Um, I find that I need to be relaxed when I go to bed and not to have racing thoughts or um, what's happening tomorrow um, going on inside. 
God made our bodies to move. Sitting all day is not good for us. Exercise is so important in getting rid of stress hormones. We need blocks of time when we get our heart rate up. Even five minutes of vigorous exercise gets rid of adrenaline. Basically anything that gets us breathing hard for a while is good for us. So if, you, if you're not able to do that, then just move. A short, slow walk is better than staying in a chair or on a lounge all day. Even fidgeting does us good. It's been shown that exercise is really helpful for people who have mild to moderate depression. Personally, I exercise because I know it's good for me and it helps, it helps everything about me. It helps me sleep and actually I come home from a walk and I actually feel a lot better. Eating and sleeping are connected and what we eat affects our, our brain chemistry, how we sleep affects our brain chemistry. Uh, when I went to medical school in the 80s, there were certain hormones that didn't exist that we know a lot about now that are affected by our sleep and our food. Um, hormones like leptin and ghrelin. But fundamentally, there are certain foods that will stimulate you and affect your sleep. Um, predominantly, um, over time, excessive processed food, sugars have a very negative effect. Um, it makes people hungry again and again. It can create inflammation. And then there are other stimulants uh, that can affect people very powerfully. Um, caffeine is a, is a significant one. So I don't take, I like coffee, but I don't drink it after, really after midday. It affects me. Um, and also the timing of, of alcohol, if you use alcohol, that can have a fairly negative effect on how you sleep. So it interferes with your deep sleep section. And that's the part that restores you when we look at our cycles of sleep. So it's just a little little section from our persona course that give you a, a bit of a taste. So, okay, so there's sleep, exercise, nutrition. I just want to say one other thing here about our bodies, and that's about relaxation. So remember, sympathetic, accelerator, parasympathetic, break. How do we enable our bodies to have a chance to settle down so that that stress level doesn't stay here but calms down? during the baseline here. And anything we can do to relax ourselves and to make sure we do give ourselves a chance to do that, particularly after we've done something stressful and demanding, is very important. Um, one of the very important things to do is uh, to breathe correctly. Normally when we feel stressed, we start breathing in a shallow manner and that creates a feedback loop that sends messages to our brain that we are stressed and that makes us feel more anxious. But if we can slow down our breathing, there's a thing called box breathing. You breathe in and count for four. One, two, three, four. Hold for four. One, two, three, four. Out for four. And then hold for four again. And there's a whole range of other forms of deep breathing. Just look it up on the web. You'll find lots of examples. But um, that can make a real difference. Just try and work out what is calming for you. And different things work for different people. One thing that's been shown to be very helpful is just getting out in nature. 
that can be a, a game changer for a lot of people. Um, so, you know, a relaxing walk, sitting in nature, listening to music, progressive muscle relaxation where you tense muscles and then relax them. All of these things, very, very important. So that's the first thing. Second thing, um, work at a healthy mindset. Um, in terms of the impact of stress, lots of people think, I'm only stressed because of my circumstances. No. What matters most is our mindset. And our mindset is changeable. Okay, we can reframe the way we think about a situation. That is, we can look at it a different way and that can help settle our stress response. So our mindset is all about how I interpret life and what's happening to me. So um, let me give you a little example. Let's just say a major stressor in your life is a relationship difficulty and you've done what you can to try and resolve it. You've spoken to the person, done all you can, but they're not prepared to budge, okay? And the fact that they are unwilling to change, that might be incredibly painful, might cause you a lot of grief, but in the end, you decide, you say to yourself, okay, I've done what I can. Um, there's nothing else I can do. I just have to accept this. And so you, you adjust your mindset, and over time, that will settle you down. Um, can I say, even our mindset around stress can be a game changer. And this sounds really weird. If you get stressed about stressed, about if you get stressed about stress, that will be more stressful for you. But if instead of seeing stress as the great enemy that you've got to beat, you just see it as, okay, this is the thing in life, and you get less stressed about your stress, that'll help calm you down, okay? It's a mindset thing. Okay. Number three, um, pay attention to the good and beautiful things around you. Um, I talked about shifting our mindset. Shifting your mindset actually is quite a difficult thing to do because when we're under stress, what our mind tends to do is to lock on to certain thoughts. You're one of those people, you have, you have brain chatter, uh, ruminating thoughts that go through your head. Often those thoughts are about regrets about the past, worries about the future. Um, the trouble is, the more we think about something, the stronger the neural pathway that creates. It's like it forms a rut in our brain and then it's harder and harder to get out of that. So what can you do? Well, um, one of the best things you can do is um, to focus on the present. And I'll just tell you about a study that was done. This was done in 2010. When did the smartphone come out? Come on, this is a basic trivia question. 2008, was it? Seven or eight? Okay, around there. Anyway, so this is soon after the smartphone came out. What these researchers at Harvard did is they got a bunch of people who had smartphones and basically they messaged them randomly or sent them a ping at various times of the day for a number of weeks. And every time they got a ping, they had to say what they were thinking about and how they felt. They had to make a report on those two things. And what the researchers found that 47% of the time, people's minds were wandering to the past or to the future. Very, only half the time were they actually in the present moment where they were. And when they wrote up this study, they said, they called it, a wandering mind is an, is an unhappy mind because they found that the people whose mind was going to the past or the future felt less happy than those who were in the moment. Isn't that interesting? 
So what can calm the chatter is to focus on the present, particularly information that's coming into our senses. So I've got a question for you. Have you noticed a tree today? Anyone noticed a tree? Sam, tell us about your tree. Do you know what sort of tree? Very tall. Were they nice trees? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but at least they'll be looked after so they can look beautiful again in the future. Anyone else notice a tree today? Tell us about your tree. Is it completely dead? If it's completely dead, don't waste, don't waste your time watering if it's completely dead. Okay, but you've noticed a cactus, that's good. Yeah, any other trees? Yeah, yeah, I've got a tree over here. Okay, were they good? Yeah. Um, why am I parroting on about, rabbiting on about trees? I love trees. I have a tree of the day, normally. Um, I'm not sure what God's got the call today. I saw it coming home from work on the train... I saw a tree at Lewisham from the train, beautiful, thin, smooth bark in front. And it has had a lovely shade. There's actually some really nice trees fairly close to here. Um, okay. Why don't we notice the trees? Well, a lot of the time, people are looking at their phones. So don't notice the trees, or they're caught up in their headspace. That chatter, those negative ruminating thoughts that are running through their head. So don't notice the trees. But when you notice the trees, you know what? You feel better. So I just want to encourage you, tune in to things coming in through your senses. I, I like to notice the trees. I try and notice flowers. I um, listen to the birds. I love the changing light at twilight. That's a really beautiful thing. Clouds. There's all sorts of stuff. Now, I know you can't spend all your time just doing that. The trouble is many of us never do it. Lots of people just go through life, they don't notice anything at all. And um, one little exercise you can do is, what, what can you hear right now? The aircon? Car wash next door? A little bit of rustling. There's a thing called a grounding exercise. What are five things I can see? Four things I can hear. Three things I can touch. Two things I can smell. What and glass of water have a, something to taste. Um, calms the mind. Settles us down. So uh, I'm not saying we spend all all of our time simply focusing on the present, but um, to do that some of the time can be really helpful for our stress response. So that's number three. Number four, uh, take a break from digital devices. Most of us are unaware of how stressful a digital device is. Do you know every time you get a notification, you have a stress response? You have an arousal response in your body when that, that sympathetic nervous <coughs> excuse me, kicks in. Okay? Um, looking at social media, you know can generate 
negative feelings and create stress. Not for everybody, but for a significant number of people. Um, if you know you're prone to that, it's worth being kept. So just the whole overload thing. Um, do you have good digital hygiene? Are you one of those people who cannot cope without your phone in your hand and you feel stressed without it? If that's the case, I would encourage you to try and do something about that. Are you a th the person who first thing every morning is you pick up your phone, last thing at night, it's the last thing you look at? I'm not sure that's helpful. Anyway, I'll, let, I'll let you reflect on that. Uh, number five, practice thankfulness. Uh, did you know, okay, if, you, if you're at the end of the day, got your little notebook, um, not your phone, not the notes section of your phone, but your little notebook, and th there's these things, they're called pens or pencils that, you know, you can, um, if you write down three things that you're thankful for for that day, and if you do that for a number of weeks, um, after, I think it's after about four weeks, your body, you sorry, your mind starts scanning for positive things. You know how I said before, um, our brains are attuned to all the negative stuff? This starts to train our mind to focus on positive things, and that's profoundly significant for our well-being. So after, I think, two months, they found people who did this self-report significant decrease in anxiety and depression. Just a little, tiny little thing. Thinking about, what am I thankful for for this day? Three things. Drop them down. Uh, number six, connect with others. This is really a game changer. Um, the research has shown people who have high levels of social support do much better under stress. Uh, in fact, soldiers on the battlefield who've been exposed to trauma, if, if they're removed from their mates and taken somewhere else, they're much more likely to, to experience PTSD than if they're allowed to hang around with those who, who they're close to. Very interesting. Uh, this, of course, is why lockdowns had such a devastating effect on the mental health of many people, particularly those living alone because of that social isolation. So one of the most important things we can do to manage stress is to connect with others, make that a priority in our lives. And can I say, church communities can have a huge impact here, um, can really make a difference. And I just want to say, too, the way we relate is also very significant. What makes it more resilient, what makes us tougher are um, traits like compassion and forgiveness. Um, tender trays make us tougher. And grudges, uh, holding grudges, they tear us down and increase our stress levels. So warm-heartedness really feeds us and calms us as people. So it's worth reflecting on. Uh, last one, number seven. If you're a Christian believer, remind yourself you are known and loved. And uh, I just want to say Christian faith has profoundly beneficial impacts upon our well-being and upon reducing stress levels. Um, I read an article by a Christian psychologist where she said that when we bring our concerns before God in prayer, that's entering into the most emotionally safe space in the entire universe. And I think she's right. The place where we're fully known and fully loved. All the junk in your life that you don't want anyone to know about, God knows about it. But... Um, when we come into his presence, that stuff's forgiven and forgotten. And he just loves for us to encounter him. He welcomes us with joy and with delight.
And um, for me, nothing calms my heart more than the peace that comes from knowing I'm forgiven and known and loved by my God. Okay, time to finish up and then we'll take questions. Uh, last, th- so just to conclude, I just want to say this. Um, when we're feeling stressed, often we can feel really stuck. We think, oh, there's no, no, no way to change this. I can't change my circumstances. You know, you might not be able to change your circumstances, but can you do some things to increase the size of your tank? Um, and small changes really can have a big impact. So here's just one, here's a little simple plan. Each day, plan, schedule, do. Plan at least one activity that is fun. Okay? Have you done something that's fun today? Um, chatting with a friend, going for a walk, doing some gardening, playing a board game, listening to music, reading a book, whatever it is. Do something fun each day. Can I say, if you're Christian, it's not a bad thing. Okay? It's not a selfish thing. This is about looking after ourselves so that we've got what it takes to be able to love and serve others. Um, so plan that, schedule it, do it. Second thing, at least one activity that gives you a sense of achievement or meaning or satisfaction. You know, whether that's in your workplace, uh, whether it's something else, you know, contributing to the work of this church, whatever it is, that's a good thing to do too. Meeting up with a friend for coffee. So stress is a part of life. Everybody does stress. But there are some things we can do to make a real difference. And there is no weakness in recognising, if you're struggling, um, that there's a problem and um, seeking out some help. Okay, I've got on a little bit longer than I said I would, Danny, but um, let's, let's take some questions, if people have any questions. Feel free to scan that again if you missed it before um, and we will ask a couple questions. Give us a moment. Just to kick us off, um, I have my own question. <laughs> um, sometimes I'm, I'm not sure if other people experience this. Sometimes my body has stress responses um, and so I kind of, I see these symptoms of stress in my life and I'm not entirely sure why I'm stressed or what I'm stressed about. Are there, are there ways that we can find out what's causing us stress? Do you have any... Um, yeah, ideas there That's a, yeah, great question, Danny. Um, a whole lot of things can be going on and often we are unaware. So it really takes some self-reflection and that, that can be difficult because, you know, it could be completely left field. One thing we can, we can do quite easily is um, when we feel that way to actually write down what we're feeling. I, I didn't mention this in the talk but... Um, often when we're, we've got stress running through our heads, a really helpful tactic is actually to write stuff down because that moves things from that emotional response to get start to get our thinking processes into play. And so when you write things down, when you write down, I'm feeling this, um, here are the surrounding events, 
And even if you just do that for a while, over several days, that might start to elicit some clues about what might be going on. The other thing for many of us, we're, we're much better at self-reflection when we're actually talking to somebody and we process things externally. So having a conversation with a good friend or with a counsellor can be really helpful to sort of try and sort some of that stuff out. But I think the first step, actually, which I should have said, is actually being alert to those signs in our body. Just notice what our body's doing. And again, many of us don't do that. We don't, we don't notice the tightness in our chest. We don't, know the sh- we don't notice the shallowness of our breathing. We don't know how we're tensing our muscles. So just trying to tune into that can be really helpful. Yeah, so there are a couple things to look out for. A sense of tightness in our chest, shallow breathing, tensing muscles. Are there other kind of clues that we should be looking for? Um, I suppose those are the, the things that I mentioned about impact on sleep, um, just fragile emotions and, um, yeah, stuff like that. Maybe di- digestive problems, you know, if you're feeling a bit funny in the tummy sometimes, that's, a, that's an indicator. Yeah. Good. Um, all right, we have a question here. How can you tell between pushing through the day-to-day stress levels and actually being on the edge of burnout over time? Um, <coughs> burnout, burnout's got a few sort of classic symptoms. Um, Traditionally, burnout's always been associated with a work environment and there's some recent research has been done at um, uh, New South Wales Uni, I think. Um, And there's a a book out by Gordon Parker and a couple of his colleagues called, they've they've done what they've called the Sydney Studies and they've found that that phenomenon of burnout is not just associated with the workplace, but people in caring roles, like people who are caring for others in the home, they can have burnout symptoms. So with burnout, there's that exhaustion, and that includes emotional exhaustion, not just physical exhaustion. And then there's a depersonalization thing where you become cynical and you feel um, unmotivated to keep caring and delivering. And I think when those sorts of feelings and experiences start to come into play and where you find yourself not recovering. So whereas perhaps in the past, you know, okay, if, I, if, I, if I'd have a, a proper day off and relax, I feel, rec- or, you know, if I do a weekend well, I feel well recovered and I'm able to, to press on. But when you're not recovering after having a break or a holiday, I think that's a sign that things are much more serious. Yeah, super helpful. Um, how can I support or encourage a spouse, partner, friend, family member who deals with stress differently to the way I do? Well, I think I try hard not to be too judgmental <laughs> about the way that they deal with stress. Um, you want to be supportive. And to be supportive... The best way to be supportive is actually to listen to their experience, to try and see it through their eyes and to understand it. And you might be thinking, if you just did this, this would all go away or this would change things. But if you just come out and say that, that normally doesn't work terribly well um, from my experience. <laughs> so, so I think 
trying to understand and see things from their perspective, I think is a really good place to start. And, and if you can do that, if they feel understood, then if you do have good ideas, they might be more receptive to hearing someone else's ideas. When I'm trying to deal with my stress or cope with my stress or alleviate stress, how can I tell if the activity that I'm doing is a good thing to be doing or if it's kind of one of the more unhelpful things to be doing? Yeah, that's another good question. Um, the bottom line is, does this activity truly restore you and refresh you and sustain you? And um, I know people who, you know, they love playing computer games and, you know, it's an escape from the reality that they have to face in their day-to-day and they do that and they feel much better afterwards. And I think that's okay. But <laughs> there are other people who get caught playing computer games, who stay up all night, who only eat junk food, who don't get out in nature at all, and all of that is creating, um, creating this, you know, the scenario where you can you can move you into major mental health difficulties. So, so, um, so yeah. I just think you've got to reflect on: is this truly nourishing and restoring me? And and to make sure there's a balance. So, if computer games is your thing, do you have the, you know, are you getting proper sleep? Are you getting proper exercise? Are you eating nutritious food, just for starters? <laughs> Apparently, yeah. And if and if that's getting in the way of doing those things, there's a problem. Um, does my friend circle? friendship circle impact my stress and I guess part of that is how do you how do you navigate friendships and perhaps knowing that some friendships are causing you more stress than others do you have any wisdom to share on kind of yeah navigating having good friends around us and also being able to care for people who maybe cause us stress or yeah and that's another great question um For those of you, Christian life is about love, isn't it? And love means extending yourself for the good of others. And and that will mean sometimes, um, often, making friends with people that um, can be demanding and can, um, you know, you might find they wear you out, particularly if you're an introvert. So I'm an extreme introvert. Um, I cope very well in my own company. Um, for extended periods of time, but that's not what my life is called to be as a Christian believer. I don't believe that's the right thing to do. So, but for me, if I spend all my time with people, I'm no good for anybody. And so, again, it comes back to that self-reflection, to know yourself, to understand yourself, to know what you can and you can't cope with, to work out when is it appropriate to put a boundary in place. Because in any friendship, um, to be always available on another person's terms is not actually healthy. It's not actually loving for that person. That person needs to learn um, the, the importance of, of you know, recognising the needs of another 
And so, so I say sometimes we do need to put some boundaries in place around that. But um, it's just this is this is what this is wisdom. And there's no easy, straightforward answer for anyone because all of us are different. All of us are wired in different ways, and we all cope with things in a different manner. So you've got to work out. Wisdom is how do I act appropriately in this particular context in which I find myself and what decisions do I need to make around my relational network to um, to still be loving um, and to be self-sustaining for the long haul. I think I'd say the, the bottom line is this, right? If you stop eating and you stop sleeping, um, how long are you going to continue? Because you think that's those things are selfish. Um, how long are you going to continue to be any good to anybody? A day, two days, that's about it. Okay, so it's just recognizing who we are as human beings, the limitations with which God has made us, and taking that into account. No, that's great. I might just ask um, one more question. Uh, for those of us who are verbal processors, how do we know if we are talking to people and that that is a, a good, helpful, healthy kind of processing mechanism or if that's just us ranting and making ourselves feel better in an unhelpful way um, or in an ungodly way perhaps? Um, how, do we, how do we hold those in to navigate? Yeah, it's hard, isn't it? I think I would encourage you not to be ungodly. So if the rant is, you know, if you're being slanderous and just gossiping, um, that's worth reflecting on and thinking about. Is this is actually is this actually an appropriate conversation to have, or should I be having this conversation with the person concerned? In terms, though, of just, you know, processing stuff. Um, no, sometimes it's a case you don't do that with everybody. You might have you know, one or two close friends who are the right people to be able to do that with. Or if you don't think it's appropriate to do that with those people, that's when a counselling relationship can be very, seeing a counsellor can be very helpful. But um, some, so for some of us, uh, that's a very, it, we can actually talk stuff through in I think in a godly manner in a way that will help us continue to be loving and so I don't want to rule that out um, and then it may be that you know we have to if, we, if the conversation's about somebody else maybe we don't talk about who that person is you know we don't name them we just talk about here's the situation I'm finding myself in I just feel like I need to talk this through with someone and if you try and process it would you mind being a listening ear for me I think that can be helpful. And just remember in Christian relationships there's a mutuality, okay? There's give and take. There's one another. There's there's the times when I'm needy and you will meet my need, and there's times when you're needy and I'll meet your need. It's just that's the way that's the way the Christian life works. I said that was the last question, but there's just one more question that's been uploaded a fair bit. Do you keep have any particular Bible verses that you go to in times of stress that you find particularly helpful? Yeah, I, mean, I love um, I love that verse in in Matthew about come to me all you who are uh, heavy laden, burdened and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Um, I find that a very comforting verse, um, knowing that that 
is what our Lord Jesus is like, um, turning to him. I, I read the Psalms. I read a Psalm every day and I don't, I I don't memorise the Psalms but very often find verses in the Psalms that are, are, are very comforting and just speak into particular situations in which I find myself. And as I work through them, um, yeah, that, that I find that very helpful. Yeah, my my mum loves the Psalms. She says that's really a picture of how to process things with God. You know, like he doesn't, the, the authors of the Psalms don't hide bits from God or only feel certain emotions. And that's a picture of what it looks like to be a Christian and have all these different emotions and difficulties and hurts and angers and then worshipfulness and all of that fits within the picture of what it looks like to be a follower of God. And she loves that as a, as a picture of a healthy way of processing. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks so much, Keith, for your time. We have really loved having you here with us. It's been great. Thanks, Karen. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening. It's been, it's been great to be with you.